Good afternoon and welcome to today's FS Club webinar. We are absolutely thrilled to address a subject that I think has been much on my mind for probably uh, the last 40 years, which is how do we take something like creative consulting and move from persistent misdirected efforts, we all know the misdirected efforts of consultants, to truly transformative results. And I'm delighted to have here Daushin Humza, who's an independent board director and a strategic advisor, and in many ways a competitor to Sien, uh, who's here to discuss with us uh, his thoughts on the matter. I was delighted to meet Daushin via, in fact, Gresham College, where I had been a trustee for uh, many, many years. And uh, when I stepped down, uh, Daushin was one of the people who came up. And I was thrilled to have met him and listened to his thinking on transformative consulting. And he is here today to present. Now, you know me, I'm Michael Manelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien. And it really is a pleasure to introduce so many of these really fascinating webinars because of our sponsors who are enormously uh, tolerant and wide-ranging in their interests and allow us to go really across technology, economics, and finance. And we will be tackling that today, but probably more from the strategy advisory end. How do you make changes in technology, economics, and finance uh, that make a difference? And how do you apply creativity to it? Now, the format today for you is the one that I think many uh, regular uh, members are aware of. Uh, and that's, I'm going to get out of the way as quickly as I can. Uh, Dashin will be presenting for 20 minutes, but then you get involved. We have a 20-minute question and answer session, and if you don't have questions about the nature of consultancy with all the various scandals that have been going on, whether it's Kinsey or Bain, whether it's the fact that people are finding it difficult to see where, where and when they get value for money, uh, I'd be surprised. So looking forward to it. Uh, so three points of housekeeping. Yes, this is being recorded, and the recording will be available in two working days, in other words, sometime late Wednesday afternoon. Uh, secondly, the slides will be available and posted on the site and may already be posted in the chat room by now. Uh, and thirdly, how do you participate? Well, you use the uh, GoToWebinar question and answer facility. I'm here with you. I am I'm not tweeting. I am not on email. I am not on Signal or WhatsApp or any of the other various mechanisms. Uh, send them here into the chat room and I will feed them into the Q&A uh, session with Daoshan. All of those emails will be sent to Daoshaka, Mo emails. All of those chats uh, functions will be sent to Daoshan with your email attached. So if you just want to contact him or just be put in touch, that will happen automatically if you uh, say so in the chat room. Uh, and Daoshan can answer many of the questions offline or provide evidence or whatever you're asking for. Anyway, we did have a, a couple of poll questions we wanted to, to ask you just to kind of get things going. Um, so the first question uh, for the audience today, and Daoshan, they're very, very fast, is which approach do you believe is more effective in addressing complex systemic problems facing organizations today? Uh, we're going to force you to pick one. Is it by following industry good practice and established strategies, or is it one that challenges conventional thinking and reframes your view of the world? Uh, Daoshan, what you'll find uh, astonishing here is always that um, our audience uh, is very opinionated and know what they're thinking. Uh, so oh, we're up to three quarters of the audience have already voted. I'll leave it open for just a split second longer. And let's uh, present those results. Wow, uh, 96% to 4%. So I think you're probably preaching a little bit to the converted. What we all seem to want is uh, an effective way of challenging conventional thinking and reframing the way we look at the world. I think we had a second poll. Is that not correct as well? Um, and uh, this poll is just to get a flavor of the type of strategy consultant you'd rather work with on a project. Whom do you like? One who relies on data, metrics, and established models, one who encourages experimentation, risk-taking, and innovation. It depends, or I don't work with consultants. 
Uh, I won't take <laughs> work as I hate, but uh, we'll do that. And again, um, our audience is already 50% of them have voted. Um, I won't tell you which way it's going. Uh, um, we'll leave that open. We're up to three quarters, just another split second or two. And let's present those re results back. Um, and very clearly, it's the middle to me. We like experimentation, risk-taking, and innovation, but it does depend on the projects and goals. So it seems like a, a very reasonable audience, but one Daoshan that is open to your ideas on transformative consulting. Uh, Peter, I think it's just handing the uh, baton of slides over to you. And uh, if I may say at that point, then Daoshan, the floor is very much yours. Thank you, Michael, um, and thank you, Peter. And I guess. Um, We'll reflect on those two polls very quickly and come to the nub here, which is creative consulting, moving from what term persistent misdirected effort and the, the two by two that we talked about in the introductory blurb here will bring that to life and moving from persistent misdirected effort to transformative results. The quote here is probably most resonant um, and that is one where we cannot solve our problems today with the thinking we had at the time when we created them, it's attributed to many people, but I often find it's attributed most to, to Albert Einstein. And that calls for a new kind of thinking, hence creative consulting. I think Michael hit the nail on the head with all of the media coverage at the moment around consulting firms, consulting practices, ethics, impact, and the way we, be it in private sector, public sector, and even within civil society, have become more reliant on consultants. So it does beg the fundamental question, what are we asking for? Are we getting it? And is it being implemented or transformative for our end users, citizens, or um, beneficiaries? So just quickly reflecting on those two polls, I recall the, the first poll's result was heavily in favor of B. And you think, like Michael, you said, I'm preaching to the converted here, that 96% were focused on option B, one that challenges conventional thinking and reframes in order to establish innovative solutions. Well, if it's so much weighted in that, why is it we often tend to go towards A, the industry good practice, the established strategies and models? Why doesn't the challenging of conventional thinking happen? Why doesn't the reframing happen? And why are we so lacking in original, innovative and disruptive solutions? So mind the gap, we hear a lot on the London Underground, but mind the chasm is probably what we should be saying between what approach we believe is most effective and what we actually decide upon. And we can address those, and I'm sure that we're gonna have that in Q&A, given what we believe, what we hope, and what actually happens. The second poll, just to quickly reflect on those results, what type of strategy consultant would you rather work with? Um, partly to see that option D didn't rank as, as highly as I thought it would, but it was option B again, reflecting poor one, one who encourages experimentation, risk-taking and innovation. Yet again, when we're forced to make a decision, we revert back to safety first and we go towards A, the data, the metrics, and probably from a UK perspective compared to, let's say, a USA perspective, going to the more linear, rational, we'll just get past the CFO and CEO test, given the kind of cultures that we have within the UK across private, public, and civil society. 
So quick reflection in the polls, and I'm pretty sure we're going to come back to that in the Q&A because of that gap or chasm between our drive for experimentation, innovative thinking, and what we actually appoint. So let's try and get to the model to frame this. Traditional consulting, what is the, the current situation? Oftentimes, I am welcomed with the simple quote, what gets measured gets managed, full stop. I hear it many times, and I'm sure you, your audience here, you've heard it many times as well. But that actually isn't the full quote. It's only a third of the full quote. The full quote is, what gets measured gets managed, even when it's pointless to measure and manage it. And even if it harms the purpose of the organization to do so. Let me repeat that. What gets measured gets managed, even when it's pointless to measure and manage it, and even if it harms the purpose of the organization to do so. Now that's from Simon Culkin, um, summarizing VF Ridgeway's paper on the dysfunctional consequences of performance measurement and management in 1956. So when we take that full quote on board, we start to have a view on what's important and we start to take a view on metrics versus feeling and what truly matters. So there's a quote for those who wish to take a note of it, and I'm sure we'll be distributing this afterwards, so you'll all have it, and that's a full quote. Secondly, the times we're living in are hugely disruptive. We've heard the, the acronym of VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, but that's been magnified since the pandemic, increased inequality, and the digitization. But given that disruption, is our traditional consulting model fit for purpose? So when we view that disruption through a lens of what's happening today, and if I take the simple example of working patterns and how certain consultancies have suddenly jumped on the bandwagon of hybrid working, flexible working, the use of technology, it's nothing new. I'm sure many of you, I know some of the other professional service firms that I've worked with, particularly in a world of marketing, media, and advertising have been working hybrid for the last two decades. In fact, I was doing so back in 1998. It was nothing new. But our voices weren't heard compared to those who have the ears of the gatekeepers, the traditional strategy consulting firms. So what may have appeared as disruptive to you during a pandemic and post-pandemic was business as usual for many of us. We talk about the culture and mind the gap using the first two polls. Many of our leaders' thinking and culture is focused on the very traditional, the linear, the left brain. Hence, we love to have innovation and transformation, but we select something that is more safe. And hence the traditional consultancies, consultancies that we work with. Where is the room for experimentation? Where is the room for innovation and risk-taking. Somehow it comes off the scale there. But once again, I will draw the difference between certainly some of the cultures here in the UK, across the three main sectors, work across, and in the USA, where there's more of an expansive level of thinking. So the status quo 
is rarely challenged and we revert to type when experiencing challenge. The difficulty there is many of the relationships we have with the traditional strategy consultants or the management consulting arms and audit firms are established with the board, with the CEO, with the CFO, and the alternatives rarely get a view. So when we're talking about expansive thinking, when we're asking for transformative change, oftentimes we see the marginal effects, the view of the balance sheet and the multiple cost lines rather than how we fundamentally affect the P&L and drive that forward at top line level. So this reverting to type helps to explain that chasm between what you have all significantly selected in the polls versus what the reality is. We've heard the phrase build back better. We don't use it as much now as we did immediately post pandemic, but really what's required is a reset or a better way as opposed to just building back better. So fundamentally, traditional operating cultures and consulting models are increasingly not fit for purpose. How can we show this simply? Well, let me take the, the much loved doyen of the two by two. And put a very simple model together with an X axis focused on effectiveness and a Y axis focused on approach. Very simple. We can go from it might not work and does not work through to it might work and it does work. On the Y axis, we can go from the very traditional linear left brain to the more creative oblique right brain. So we have a simple two by two there. And what we can see, your typical four quadrants here, depending on which way you look at your screen, in the top right is the opportunity. It might work, it does work, and it's creative, ugly, and more right brain. We then have the status quo in the quadrant below that. It might work, it does work, but it's traditional linear left brain. Next to that, we have something called persistent misdirected efforts. It might not work, it does not work, but it's a traditional way of thinking. And we can, of course, eliminate fast the quadrant above that, which is oblique and might not work. So it's clear that in this world and in this environment we're operating in, a new professional service model is needed, one that harnesses both the science and the art of consulting and provides the client with the transformation, the growth, the change that they require to better serve their people, both their end users, beneficiaries, customers, and consumers, and also their staff. So what does that look like going forward? So the way forward, the way forward, I'm gonna start off with a quote from John Maynard Keynes. And it's that worldly wisdom teaches us that it's better for reputation to fail conventionally than to succeed unconventionally. Now again, going back to the poll questions, if we can explain something, good or bad, it is easier than the inspiration of achieving something truly great. 
I love this quote from 1936. Unfortunately, it is too resonant today. So as a client, and I'm in a position where previously I've been a client to one of the very well-known large strategy consulting firms, a couple of the management consulting firms of the audit industry, a couple of the big technology consultancies, and a number of small boutiques. But one thing that frustrates me as a client is we often seek exponential growth or innovation, yet we settle for the marginal and safe. We often brief or recruit and brief to challenge, but yet we appoint or we select to fit. And those around us, particularly the gatekeepers, as we said before, revert to type. We know that those who are different, that those who are diverse, can drive transformation and future growth, particularly the mavericks. Yet, if we look at many of the British boards across the three sectors, we are heavily, far more than any, certainly far more than the USA, heavily compliance, finance, audit, legally focused, as opposed to having those who have more of a different maverick marketing or growth background. And if we do have those folk, they're limited. We often talk about one then done for the Hampton Alexandra and the previous Davis review of women on boards. Well, it's a bit like that with talent that is truly maverick or different or creative. Best case scenario, one then done. And in our board meetings, we disproportionately focus on the balance sheet, as we said earlier, rather than top line. So we're looking at the marginal as opposed to the truly transformative. So we need to better embrace the mavericks and those who can drive transformation and growth, as opposed to paying lip service to it and working in silos, but cutting across. We talked about the measurement and what matters, and this is key, but not everything that we can measure matters. And particularly in a world of big data, we're consumed by it. But the most important thing there is not everything that matters can be measured, that matters, sorry, that can be, that matters to be measured, but equally, not everything that we measure matters. And we truly have to begin with the end in mind and find out those metrics that truly matter, but also capture the insights that drive growth that may not be measurable. A lot of this comes down to the fundamental problem of, I guess, economics. And certainly when I studied economics, we worked the models and the assumptions, of course, are there to help us model, but are not reflected of the real world of perfect information and perfect markets. We cannot always describe a model to human behavior, but behavior has a value and drives growth, yet, we focus on efficiency and the marginal. So to move forward, we need to embrace more than just the hard data and metrics, as we were saying in the second poll, but also embrace creativity, psychology, to expand solution spaces, and with that, our imagination possibility. So what we have now is if we go back to that simple two by two, and now we can start to look at those core quadrants, the opportunity of high growth, high margin innovation, transformative, 
the status quo of low growth, low margin, efficiency and red ocean, and something that we call consistent misdirected efforts. Many would say the pivot is from the status quo to the top right quadrant. But the reality of where we are with traditional consultancies is persistent misdirected efforts. And the pivot required is to move from there through status quo, what we believe is status quo, to truly the top right quadrant. That is the pivot required. And all too often we hear of cases, and I know Michael addressed some in his introduction, of traditional strategy firms being firmly entrenched in persistent misdirected efforts, but also having a business model that supports that, i.e. you can't have a short-term engagement and then be out. It is always good to have that longer-term engagement in their business model or to keep coming back in. And unfortunately, we've read of many of these cases within our own jewel and crown in the UK, the NHS. So as a result, traditional consulting needs to change. It needs to become more behavioral and emotionally driven. We need to be better embracing creativity and analysis. We've been too focused on the metrics and analysis and we've lost out on the creativity. They need to work side by side to expand the solution space. We need to focus better on insight, inspiration through that diverse talent and then delivery through building the capability of the people, the workforce, the organizations we're consulting for. The metrics are there also to help us better understand the future and what demand creation looks like through the multitude of what-if scenarios. But for that, it's not about just planning, it's about imagination. So creative consulting, the way forward, if I was to surmise it in a handful of words, is thinking differently for innovation and growth. And hence, that's the top right quadrant for collaborative and creative consulting. So very quickly in summary, before we move on to Q&A, we go back to that quote, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use when we create them. We know disruption, it's a new normal, hence the need for maverick and oblique thinking. And that simple definition of creative, of creative consulting requires three or four key things. Adopting a more oblique right brain approach, combining the elements of behavioral science, psychology, with our metrics and analysis, the economics of our status quo. So we expand our imagination, our possibility, and the resulting solution space. But to do this, we should focus on people. I say the internal folk, but the workforce, the end users, those we serve, to be able to implement more effectively and build capability. So that is the, the key drivers, or those are the key drivers of creative consulting. So we can move from the status quo of what is actually persistent, misdirected efforts to what we truly want, which may be transformative results or change for the better. Thank you. I'll hand over to Michael now. Gosh, Sean, that was super. Um... Nice and succinct, and uh, we've got quite a few comments and questions, a fairly large audience out there. Um, so a few things, um, and I've got a few comments I'd like to make along the way. Let's hear from the audience. 
uh, Nick Bush. Uh, you know, Nick Nick uh, does a lot of research work at oh, the Center yes. for Management Consulting Excellence. Uh, business leaders with the creative mindset you have outlined still need consultants, or can they manage without? Well, I guess we can just shorten the question to: Do we need? Do we still need consultants? End off. Um, if you want to be even more provocative, Nick. And I guess, Nick, I think what is success here? And the short answer to your question, I will say, is yes. Now, I'm not trying to get work for myself here, but I think yes, and success is the sooner you get out, the better, which is what goes against the traditional consulting model. So given the status quo is more linear, traditional, left brain, to help broaden thinking, expand imagination, assist inspiration, and to expand that solution space, the short answer to your question, Nick, is yes, a degree of provocation, transferable learning, getting out of your comfort zone is helpful for business leaders, boards and executive team members to move forward. But the objective should be in and out and not to stay in and come back in for persistent misdirected efforts. Okay. Well, Nick, I know, has been leading an interesting program at, at CMC to look at the, what I call the Hilbert problems in consulting. You know, what are the what are the core elements? You know, and certainly one of them is that that is, are you really a consultant if you're permanently there? I would argue no. It's you're, you're not actually transforming change. You become part of the system, which I, I think just delineates outsourcing, which in the management consulting industry um, is frankly a large chunk of what goes on, Absolutely. probably close on yeah. 65, 70 percent. Um, okay, um, Nadine Rose, uh, she'd like to know, uh, hi Daushan, do you have any particular approaches that you can recommend? For example, do you go with the theory of change or whole systems thinking? And here I'm kind of with Nadine, I mean, you can't just say, well, throw out everything. If it's, if it's new and untried, it's good, uh, which, which is what, you know, what uh, innovative tends to imply in many of these places. So Nadine, I think there are two things here. One, we have to respect also what's gone before. So I say it's a marriage of analysis and creativity to take this solution space and expand it to that. Just using my hands here on screen. In terms of processes, what I have used personally, and I've written my own experience for um, in a very traditional environment early on in my career at Procter & Gamble, when I looked after their fine fragrance division in the UK, and Hugo Boss throughout the Futures Bright, the Futures Orange, and a couple of other examples, one in the city with Ross and Alliance Insurance, and also with Virgin Media. And there's a thread I can take there where two approaches, search and reapply, connect and develop. They sound like management speak here, but let me just quickly elaborate. I talked about what-if scenarios, coming up with a number of what-if scenarios, expanding those to even a banal, and then search and reapply. Customer service at Ross Alliance Insurance. Not what would Zurich, AXA, or anybody else do. What would Mickey Mouse do? And by Mickey Mouse, I mean Disneyland. Take the best in case example of customer service, apply that. What would Mickey and Minnie Mouse do in this scenario as regards insurance customer service? Not what would another competitor that's probably already at the lowest of low with us back then would do. Break that thinking, connect and develop. Take a Disneyland example apply it to insurance. Search and reapply. I remember very early on in my career with um, Procter & Gamble in Fine Fragrances, we, or me in Fine Fragrances, learnt from what Pampers was doing. Now you might say one is dealing with the smell of shit and diapers, 
the other is dealing with the smell of fine fragrances and roses but there is a lot we can learn from looking at the target audiences and taking those fundamental insights and translating them across so believe it or not a lot of the, the success i can attribute to my time at png and fine fragrances came from insights that we had on our pampas database and working with obviously parents and and their children so search and reapply and connect and develop through what if scenarios sometimes the more banal the better okay that's very helpful i think in a lot of ways um, now christopher gleedle is a, a quite a, a strong systems thinker uh, and particularly into areas of you know circular systems and feedback um, he says, uh, could we go back to the poll where 96% of respondents said they prefer the challenge of conventional thinking by experimentation? Okay. Uh, the findings I often find that it's easier to go along with groupthink. Neuroscience shows that this desire for conformity isn't just the result of peer pressure, it is hardwired into our brains. Indeed, deviation from the group opinion is regarded by the brain as punishment. Uh, what are your thoughts? That's a great point, and I, I guess I'm going to come back very quickly, Chris, to so Christopher, to the the one then done example. So when we when we looked at um, women on boards and with one of my other hats on something I've worked on with the various bodies there, putting your head above the parapet against the status quo truly takes courage. If you're the one woman on a board, it is a lot harder against the rest of the board. Equally, if you're the one maverick thinker. If you're the one outlier, it is a lot harder given the status quo. So you're right, neuroscience teaches it is harder, or we're hardwired and we follow groupthink. But this comes down to our culture again. And if I go back to the USA, I have found often that it's easier to have those challenging conversations. And the maxim is we need to be more comfortable with the uncomfortable, and we need to be uncomfortable with the comfortable to truly move out of our, our comfort zones and there's a lot of comfort there but we need to break that so yes i agree with you and there are the study from neuroscience many studies across neuroscience shows that we're hardwired but this is about putting your head above the parapet now i don't think you know three words i'm just going to quickly give you and a lovely conversation with my daughter um who's seven by the way and she views Amazon, so what's the Amazon? She goes, it's the biggest toy shop in the world because whenever our doorbell rings, we get an Amazon delivery, it's a toy or a gift for her. When I was her age, it was a rainforest. When I talk about a goggle or a Google, as it was misspelt, it, when I was her age, I read my, my primary school teacher saying it's one followed by 100 noughts. And that was the biggest number we all knew until we all said, but sir, you can add one to that. For my daughter, it's something that knows a lot more than daddy and mummy. Easy, anyway. Um, and likewise, things have been reframed. But what you've got there is not just a reframing. In a space of, from my being her age to her now, you've got two of the three most valuable entities on this planet. Now, somebody had to put their head above the parapet, Chris. Obviously, it's slightly different when we look at them as startups. But that concept of, breaking out of group thing, putting your hand up and raising things that are uncomfortable leads to transformation. So yes, I agree with you, but the behavioral change needed is A, we need to recruit more mavericks, B, we need to listen to them, and C, we've all got to put our heads above the parapet. 
So hopefully that addresses the points, Chris. Yeah, very good. Actually, I was skiing last week and uh, without my glasses, I'm close to blind. And uh, so, you know, I found out that uh, my, my, my visor had broken and I wound up, uh, I wound up goggling for new Googles, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, seriously, um, I, I, I think you make a good point the value there. I spent. Yeah. Um, and uh, folks uh, in the chat room, there's a link to Daoshan's book where he's co-author of Uncertainty Deconstructed, which he's been very good at not selling. So I'll do it for you, Daoshan. And in fact, one of the things I thought was interesting was your four-way diagram. One, because it wouldn't have been a management consultancy. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a management consultancy uh, one without it. But in fact, we at Zien have long had this idea of clinical roles. And our matrix is basically, um, you know, you know what's needed and you know how to do it. And then sometimes you don't know what's needed and sometimes you don't know how to do it. And these give you four roles where you've got sort of the process consultant, which is somebody who actually it's a specialist advisor with a big consultant tack, tack on it. You might as well call a lawyer a legal consultant. Uh, you've got a skilled person who's in there, knows what's needed. You don't even know what they're up to. They just get it done. Yeah. Um, but then you've got two, I think, other ones. You've got the analytical strategist um who, who kind of knows how to do it was not quite sure and then you've got this uh, role of the kinnick which i think you're emphasizing it's a, and i don't mean this in a derogatory way kinnick with a k the greek idea of diogenes who is the yep. philosopher who, who breaks uh, and in fact you know some people would say the corporate uh, fool or court jester nothing wrong with that this is a needed shakeup of the brain and I, I think that is a very very important point now we've got oddly i, I was thinking this might turn into sort of a how do you do consulting? But but it actually seems to be much more about culture and people in the question. So a couple more, if you could knock them off that quickly. Yep. Um, firstly, Clive Bullen, who's here. Are there just too many accountants trained to be prudent and conservative in business? And Clive <laughs> trains accountants so for a living as an accountant. So just very quickly on that one. So I think it was Clyde you said. So Clive. Clyde. Sorry. Um, are there too many accountants? Yes. Okay. There's your answer in terms of yes for the UK. One stat I will share with you from a few years ago when I was looking at board composition or CEO composition across three territories. And the magic number here is circa 60% or two thirds. In the UK, it's 2016 I did this, two thirds of FTSE, FTSE 100 CEOs were from a finance background. You can trace their career trajectory through finance. We looked at the S&P 500. Two thirds of CEOs in the S&P 500 in the States were from a sales and marketing background. We then looked at the DAX. No surprise here. Um, and this would have been a great poll to do as well. Two thirds of CEOs in the DAX were from a engineering or technology background. Um, in fact, when I was working with Hugo Boss, um, the CEO of Hugo Boss Fashion was an engineer at the time, Dr. Peter Lippmann. So three countries, three different focuses in terms of their CEOs, and we can mirror that in terms of the board. So Clive, to your question, yes, in the UK particularly, we have too many accountants, auditors, financiers on our boards. And in a typical board meeting, we disproportionately spend too much time on the balance sheet and the marginal. Whereas if we had more, let's say, contrarians, rather than using the term court gestures or mavericks, we'd probably reverse that and spend more time on the top line. So how do we break that? 
I'd like to see more diversity on our boards. And I'm not just talking here about gender or ethnicity or disability, but true cognitive diversity of those who are more challenging, more contrarian in their views and can raise their head above the parapet if I bring your question together with what Christopher was asking earlier. Um, Dan Finney uh, has a comment and a question. The comment is nobody got fired for hiring IBM. And frankly, <laughs> which of the strategy houses really matters anymore amongst Bain, McKinsey, and BCG with speed of change and the need for agility? You know, and I, I've often noticed where the numbers come from, which is one of my questions. You know, you, you'll often read in The Economist or something like that, but the industry will consolidate on 10 or the industry will consolidate on five or the industry will consolidate on three, which is normally a, a sign that McKinsey's been around and sold the same report to everybody, um, <laughs> giving them the target. It's almost self-fulfilling because everybody flashes a report. We've got to, we've got to do M&A because we, we have to merge. Um, so that was sort of one point from Dan, but his question was, uh, picking up on this cross-cultural that you touched on, uh, are you saying that UK work cultures are more inherently risk-averse and protect the status quo versus American work culture? You know, could you expound on that briefly? Because I got quite a few more here. Sure. So, Dan, thank you. Yes, I am saying that based on experience and even based on the data point that I shared for the the last question, the two thirds. So we have a more risk-loving, risk-averse culture here in the UK versus more expanding is the word expansive expansive culture in the states and again looking around the board table there is more cognitive diversity and more space for discussion around the top line in the states versus uk so when we talk about unicorns in the uk or transformative business models that have been launched from FTSE 100 or FTSE 250 firms there are far less equivalent examples than when we compare to the s p 500 firms so yes to answer your question I just think at this point in terms of cultures, I'd like to bring a quote in from a gentleman, Kumar Galhotra, who's president of Americas and the international market group at Ford. And Kumar says, a car is millions of rational decisions looking for one emotional decision. Now, I love that quote because it talks about the cultures and addresses partly your, your point in question, Dan, that we tend to focus on those millions of rational decisions here in the UK. And it's a big generalization, I know, whereas the true magic, and I've deliberately used the word magic, the true transformation, what can change that P&L, sorry, that can change that revenue, the top line, is that one emotional decision. And when it comes to car purchases, we know that engineers make millions of decisions, very rational, linear decisions, scientifically thought out decisions, safety being paramount. But all the decisions that lead to design and manufacture hinges on the customer saying, I want that, which is more of an emotional decision. Now, when you recognize that emotion, you bring psychology into play. So absolutely, Dan. Uh, Hugh Purser uh, shared with us a quote he believes might be from Josh Billings or Mark Twain, probably Josh, I think he's right. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a, that's a good one on the matrix. Uh, but he goes on, uh, Hugh, to say, you know, the appointment of consultants can be based on internal management power plays where there's an expectation the consultant will deliver advice aligned with a particular management group or individual inside the host organization. Um, so that's hold on to that thought there, if you don't mind. So let's see, 
the uh, the internal management power play we've seen you know the consultants being hired to basically execute the decision and in a related vein um brian howard asks uh, transformative yes but the transformation needs to be executed by the leadership team not the consultant so should part of a consultant mission be to educate or enable the, the leadership team to seize ownership uh, and effectively deliver the transformative mission brilliant thanks i didn't get the name of the first um questioner that was Hugh, Brian. Hugh, Hugh Purser, Hugh Purser, and Hugh. then Brian Howard. Hugh, thank you. So you talked, Hugh, you talked about the the power play. Yes, there is there is more than a case to say that the consultants have been brought in, particularly traditional consultants, generally with the blessing of the board and or the CEO, CFO, to validate a certain position and move it forward. Um, earlier on, I think Dan, you mentioned about no one getting fired for hiring IBM. You know, vis-a-vis -vis McKinsey, Bain, BCG, or some of the management consulting arms of the the big four. So safety first. Brian, your point about education, absolutely. I think the very first question um, from Nick, I address this whole thing about in and out. Success is being made redundant quickly if you're a consultant or leaving quickly, because you've set the way forward with the blessing of the internal folk not just a senior exec, but those key workers at the call phase in many cases, you've got their buy-in and to your point, possibly helped develop, educate for them to move forward. So you end this dependency. I know there's a book coming out recently by, or it's coming out very soon this month by um, Professor Mariana Matsukuto from UCL titled The Big Con. Yeah. And she addresses this better than I do here. So yes, Brian, we need to educate so we are in and out and the organization's capability increases. That is a true value of consultancy as opposed to the rather drip feed we're still needed. I'm going to have to push you to be a bit staccato because we've only got two minutes left, but uh, let's see if we yeah. can whip four out quickly. Julia George agrees wholeheartedly with your thinking. Do you think companies can possibly change to recruiting employees and consultants on the basis of their imagination? <laughs> um, yes, but equally, you then have to look at the gatekeepers. So if we're trying to recruit diverse talent, maverick talent, contrarian talent, we also need to include that in our recruitment panels and the kind of folk who have to make those final decisions and are comfortable with the uncomfortable. So yes, we can but we have to turn the spotlight onto us as gatekeepers and panel members and recruiters. Graham Elliott, um, and I think he's got a really good point here about the, the environment we're living in. Compliance with regulation, box sticking, seems to be displacing professional judgment in many scenarios. Does this trend towards a rule-based approach flow across to the mindset applied when considering business architecture by consultants? Unfortunately, yes, but I guess Again, cultural considerations, um, Graham. When we look at what's happening here in the UK, box ticking, again, let me just take some of the themes here. No one's been fired for hiring IBM vis-a-vis -vis the large strategy consultancies. Box ticking versus a safety first approach. Of course, there is the basic building blocks of what we have to deliver. But like I said, marrying analysis with creativity and inspiration expands that solution space. So yes, we may be here, we need to keep that, but we truly want to end up here by embracing 
those contrarian views, creativity to what we have already. Uh, Peter Neville-Lewis, a uh, question here. Innovation is less likely to happen when executives lack humility. Isn't teaching them to care more about the impacts of their decisions in the wider world the key to more open thinking as well? Absolutely, and I guess where you see this is if we take very quickly, very quickly take a public sector example and look at the NHS and how consultants have had to work across the NHS on a range of issues, but probably most pertinently to newspaper headlines last week, that of waiting lists. We've not solved that problem in four decades, despite the billions being spent on very significant strategy consultancies. But how about if we reframe waiting lists and make waiting a benefit? I won't elaborate on that, but I'll leave you on that thought. It does. Well, let's have one quick closing comment, a good, an excellent closing question from Dominic Tantrum. You know, as a consultant, he says, uh, I find it can be difficult to get prospective customers to move beyond linear thinking. It may excite them, but it looks like risk and they fall back to tried and tested. How do we, those of us in the industry, around the industry, buyers, uh, how do we collectively raise the game? Great question. And um, to try and end on some pithy points, uh, um, Dominic, one is to take those traditional clients on a more emotive behavioral journey through the eyes off, a day in the life off. I mean, even taking that last example, I threw out really the NHS. What does waiting mean? How can it be a benefit? It sounds banal. This is a conversation for another day if anybody wants to have it, we presented it. Secondly, search and reapply, connect and develop. If it's worked for Mickey and Minnie Mouse, how do we get it to work in insurance? Live example. If it's worked on Pampers, how does it apply to designer fragrances? Connect and develop. So through narrative, through search and reapply, through understanding behavior, through connect and develop, through what if scenarios, there's five things there, Graham. I found that that has helped take traditional linear thinkers on a journey whilst respecting their metrics and models at the same time. Great. Well, that is, I think, an excellent point on which to close, sadly. Um, but may I thank you very much, audience. You've been absolutely superb today. My thanks as ever to our sponsors who do allow us to range across such a great variety of topics. I hope uh, you've been pleased with Daoshan's excellent presentation. And Daoshan, if I may, my thanks to you, um, because it was certainly, uh, <laughs> you knew I wouldn't be an easy pushover on this sort of stuff. And uh, I think you've expounded brilliantly on uh, the, the need for the industry, particularly in this quadrant of uh, kinesism and change and innovation. We really do have to, as Dominic said, up our game, and it's going to take all of us together. Um, but to do that, we also have to recognize the importance of consulting at the same time. So thank you very much for your contribution, and we look forward to seeing many of our viewers on future programs, which as ever, folks, no need for me to uh, read it out to you. Just simply you know, have a look at the website, although I will point out uh, tomorrow will be fascinating for any of you interested in what's happening in Mauritius. Uh, which is a, a really up-and-coming financial center now that it seems to have gotten its uh, AML issues out of the way. But thanks to everyone, and see you again soon. Thank you to the audience. Thanks for the great questions. Thank you, Michael.